The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to this week's episode of Zach on Film. Joining me from across the room is Steven Schleicher. Hello, all the way over here. Oh, so nice to see you. It's nice to see you too. And then all the way across on the internet lines, Rodrigo Lopez. Hey, man. Rodrigo, it is nice to hear your voice. Yeah, it's it's good to be on the show, man. Oh, good. Uh, took a week off last week. Steven and I did... Yeah, a lot of people like. What did we do? Oh, we did the bone, the bone tomahawk. A lot of people like bone tomahawk. Yeah, I was surprised, and it's good to get the feedback from people that uh, got into it. Some people were like, "Oh, there was a lot more comedy in there that you guys didn't talk about." Well, yes, there were some humorous (laughs) moments, but we also didn't talk about uh, the two leads getting it on and uh, too much. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. But this week we are going on the opposite end of the spectrum. We're talking two guys in a car. Talking for 90 minutes with the end of the tour. Uh, this is a film that kind of hit the uh, film festival circuit. Well, no, it kind of came out just like uh, in the late of the summer. No, it came out uh, it? film festival Sundance in January. And then it was uh, released oh, that's right. this past summer, July 31st. Right. Um, after that. Uh, starring Jason Siegel and Jesse Eisenberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, Siegel plays David Foster Wallace, an American writer who, uh, as the movie explains, shot to fame with his uh, late 90s book, 1996 book, The Infinite Jest. Have you read that one? I have not. Oh, okay. It is, uh, I had never heard of David Foster Wallace until I had heard of this movie. Is is that a name that I should probably know, or is it it's kind of an obscure writer? I, I'm not familiar with him, but um, he doesn't have a you know a um, a great range of work. But what he has written, a lot of people have thought was really good. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, from what I can tell, it's very kind of a cynical look at where we are mm-hmm. in the world. Uh, Rodrigo, have you read yeah. this guy? I have not. No, I, I actually wasn't familiar with either of these guys. Yeah, so, uh, and then Jesse Eisenberg plays David Lipsky, uh, a new writer at Rolling Stones, who is a He's writer also a himself. Book author. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. who at the beginning of the movie is doing a reading of his latest fiction novel. Um, and then he pitches to his editor that he wants to follow, follow Wallace around as he finishes up this Infinite Jest book tour to write a piece for Rolling Stone. Uh, he gets it approved. And he flies to meet Wallace out in the old, the good old gosh country of the Midwest, well, where he follows him up to Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Minneapolis mm-hmm. yeah, to kind of like do this last yeah. leg of the book tour. And really the film is a very long conversation between these two. Uh, the film really plays out as Lipsky is listening back to the tapes that he recorded while interviewing Wallace uh, after he learns of Wallace's uh, death in 2008. Mm-hmm. Eight. Yeah. Uh, and that's what the movie is, essentially. This long conversation. Uh, 
did you enjoy this movie, Stephen? I'm not it was right out of the gate. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I, there's a lot of things about it that I, I thought that the acting was really good, but the more I reflect on it, the more I'm like, why? Why is this important or not important? So we can talk about that more. What were your initial feelings about the film, Rodrigo? Um, my initial feelings, as I started watching it, I was like, oh, this is interesting. And yeah. then I was like, um, is this just a movie about two guys hanging out? And it kind of turned out to be a movie about two guys hanging out. Yeah. yeah. So I guess I'm... What about you, uh, Zach? You like this movie a lot. Oh, yeah. Right? I yeah. loved it. I uh, watched it for the first time before, before we even watched it on Tomahawk last week. And absolutely knew i mean i just loved it and then i watched it again just last night and i think i love it even more now <laughs> i think it's one of those gonna be one of those films that i could watch all the time like no matter when it is there's just something about it that i really really enjoy so jesse eisenberg's character david lipsky is a very jealous writer he's jealous mm-hmm. of uh, david wallace's success mm-hmm. and talks his editor into allowing him to go cover this tour with the expectation that we find out later on that he's supposed to find out about his previous possible suicide attempts, his uh, possible heroin or other addictions that mm-hmm. he has. And so he's being very sneaky and he he does that in this piece. Um, and then uh, David Foster Wallace is, you can tell he has a very addictive personality. There are very, there are things about him that he's very addicted to. There's a great scene where you see him, go down the rabbit hole of television addiction mm-hmm. uh, in multiple times. I mean, when they first meet him, he's like, oh, no, I don't have a TV in the house because it's very addicting. I was addicted to it as a kid, watched it all the time. And then as they're on the tour, he falls into that habit again, especially when he's spending time with his friends. Um, I guess my it is a whole conversation and there are some interesting exchanges. But these two met this is everything that we're given for from the book. They met and they hung out for three or four days. Mm-hmm. And then 12 years later, David Foster Wallace commits suicide and everybody calls Lipsky and says, Oh, did you know about this? You guys spent all that time together. And it's like, they don't walk away from this movie as bestest friends. Mm-hmm. Right. And yet Lipsky then uses his four day encounter with Wallace to write uh, a book. Uh, Mm -hmm. That apparently is, I don't know if that's an award-winning book or not, but it just seems rather, it just seems rather odd. I think to me, um, at the implication at the end of the film, where it does kind of end and Lipsy goes back to New York and starts writing this thing and then, um, you know, it ends with him receiving a package from Wallace and it's just a shoe. Right, because he he just left a shoe shoe there, right? I think the implication at the end is that Lipsky was influenced an incredible amount by his interactions with Wallace. And we don't really know what Wallace's takeaways from that interaction were with Lipsky, but it seems that the the talking with Wallace for those days changed him in a way or exposed some truth about him that he would not have realized on his own. And then that is why he had uh, just affection for him. I don't. It didn't feel like they ever kept in contact. Possibly, right? I don't think they I, did. But I think maybe he comes back to New York. He tells people, and he just like something's off about him, or something different, and he's changed a little bit from interacting with Wallace. And that would be the impetus for someone to contact him, knowing um, what he meant to Lipsky. Did you get that, Rodrigo? 
Um, I guess maybe I did. The thing is, like, it's nothing about this is very explicit about, you know, that sort of thing. It's like, it's clear that he was impacted by his time with them, Mm -hmm. but nothing is ever really said aloud about it. Right. I mean, we don't really, I did not see anything where um, Eisenberg's character is totally impacted by this, especially at the end where it's like, okay, um, they've had their moment. They had their angry moment at one another because um, thought he was hitting on his friend Mm -hmm. and he's uh, not a, Lipsky is not a very nice person anyway. He's got multiple girlfriends. Uh, And then you think that he's come to some realization that, oh, you know, maybe I am, I am my own worst enemy. And then you expect that there to be a moment of change. But then as Wallace goes out to be nice and clean off his, the ice from his car, he essentially ransacks the guy's house to find out anything that he can find oh, yeah. about what the uh, house looks like, what the place looks like. He needs to describe it in every detail going nah, into places that he was not invited to go into. I, I, I didn't really see that as that. I mean, that's just like notes so that he will like remember it, I guess, because I bet you he didn't necessarily go into super detail into that um, in the article necessarily. And I mean, he would have because that's how those pieces are. Right. Right, They like um, put put that person under a microscope. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I will agree that uh, the... This is this is one of the most realistic movies I've seen because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as in real life nothing actually happened. Like <laughs> literally nothing happens in this movie. There is no pivotal moment, there is no point in which, you know, the characters are like, well, here are differences, here are similarities. Let's do something about it. It's like they get mad at each other mm-hmm. and then they kind of get less mad at each other because they're in a car for 5 hours. And it's like, yep, that's actually how human relationships go. And man, does it make for a boring movie. <laughs> See, yeah. but um, like especially that scene where Lipsky's running around his house, um, recording everything he sees, mm-hmm. you know, just documenting it and going to all of his rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, there is that initial thing of once again he's violating this space mm-hmm. that Wallace has set up, much like the beginning of the film where he takes some of his uh, tobacco mm-hmm. and tries it and then go runs to the bathroom really quick to spit it out and then right. looks through his medicine Uses cabinet. Uses an excuse right. to look through the medicine cabinet. Right. right, so he has those moments throughout the film where instead of doing this kind of pseudo-friendship that it seems Wallace is trying to build throughout the film, Lipsky mm-hmm. is continually trying to just use it to his advantage so we can write a right. better piece. Right. And much of like that in the film, you think he would have learned something or, mm-hmm. but it, the nature of what he was there to do still kicks in. So we can still write a piece that he needs to write. Well, part of it too is, you know, I could be looking at this film from the wrong perspective. You know, this is supposed to be, and, and Lipsky's book that ultimately went on the New York times bestseller list is his recounting of somebody who died and for us to get a glimpse Mm -hmm. of who Wallace was. And so from that perspective, I think we do get, I think we do get that idea of who Wallace was. We do get to see his addictive personality. We do get to see his odd habits. We do maybe get a better understanding of that. But if that's the point of the film, 
then they focus too much time on Eisenberg's uh, characters, Lipsky's self-centeredness mm-hmm. and jealousy, as opposed to let's explore this tragic writer more. Mm. I think, I don't know. I, I it it's is, just, it's, it's a very yeah. weird film. I mean, it is, it's a small budget independent film. It yeah. is something that really you look at it and you say, well, this is film festival material mm-hmm. type stuff. Absolutely. Um, it's very well acted, but I have a feeling that a lot of it is just like, well, here's the tapes. Let's just transcribe the tapes and there's our script. And I don't know. It's just, I, I there's part of me really wants to like it because when I saw the trailer initially, I was like, oh, this is going to be really good. And I bought it on the spot. This mm-hmm. is before you and I even talked about it. And after watching, I was like, oh, well, that's a nice little piece. But the more I think about it, the more I'm like, there's not really a point to this whole thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe you can convince me. I, I mean, what do you mean like a point, like a point to even watching it, a point to the tale at all? Yeah. What am, what am I, the viewer, supposed to get out of this? Uh, you know, to me, one of the biggest things that I took away from the film, and I don't even know if it's the point, but just the thing that I felt while watching it is... Um, wh- while doing the interview, it was clear. I mean, I think it's a, almost a thing of not exploiting people <laughs> to a mm-hmm. degree because mm-hmm. it was clear that Wallace wanted to talk to someone. He mentioned throughout the piece right. how it was nice to just talk with him because he was certainly, uh, and he mentions it, going through some turmoil, trying to deal with his anxiety going on this tour and having to perform essentially for all these people when he travels around the country Mm -hmm. and he wanted someone to be able to talk to and he gives himself to that process of I'm going to open up right this is what you want for your piece but this is something I also need and to open up and let's have a conversation Mm -hmm. um but Lipsky on the other hand denies him that and continues to just put his face down and scribble notes and doesn't ever give any feedback. There's a Mm -hmm. moment in the car when, uh, Wallace, uh, I don't remember. He asked him about something and Lipsky just kind of laughs and shrugs off and go, Oh, I'm, Mm -hmm. he was the one asking the question. Right. Cause he's trying to, he's trying to, he's trying to make a connection with, with Lipsky, but Lipsky's like, Oh no, I'm not going to be part of your story. Mm -hmm. You are my story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The same thing when they were talking about the kids or, uh, Wallace asks him, why don't you have any kids or why aren't you married at 30? Mm-hmm. And he just mm-hmm. deflects and asks him, well, why aren't you at 34? Mm-hmm. And it just seems like that. And so I don't know what you want to take away from that is not be a dick and just kind of be friendly to people when you're having a conversation with him, yeah. especially when you're forced to for a couple of days. Yeah. Um, But I, I don't know. I mean, I enjoyed watching it. I uh-huh. had great pleasure from just watching it yeah. because to me it felt like a... I guess into like a podcast played out over mm-hmm. scenes mm-hmm. that why not have been the best interview. It was at least entertaining to listen to Wallace talk. Right. I don't know. Rodrigo, do you think this movie has a point at all? I don't think so. I think this movie is, I, I think this movie is a transcript. Mm-hmm. I think this movie goes through exactly what happened. And, um, if there are any themes that somebody could get out of them, I think it actually kind of weirdly goes out of its way to subsuming them. It's like there are these little interesting like nuggets of action or emotion that happen. And the movie spends a lot of time setting them up and then squashing them before they can really play out into anything. And again, because, you know, it's exactly presumably exactly the way it happened. 
you know, in real life, if you see someone macking on your ex-girlfriend and it makes you uncomfortable, then you might pull them aside in the kitchen and be like, hey, just don't do it in front of me, jerk. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, In movies, it tends to be bigger than that. And this movie is not like that. There's a lot of like kind of uh, unsatisfying non-conclusions. And I think it comes from the fact that this is a movie about five days during which some guys hung out, some things happened, they said some things, and nobody wants either of them to come out looking bad. Right. Um, and, and, you know, for all we know, they don't and couldn't because they are, you know, fine. They're fine people. They, you know, there's no real problem with them. Mm-hmm. But it's like we're used to watching narratives that do have a point or a moral or a story. And that's what's kind of weirdly unsatisfying about the end of the tour. Um, For example, if this was a fictional account, then that confrontation between uh, the Davids about his girlfriend would have resulted in something at the end. We don't, we don't know if uh, what's his name? Lipsky. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't know if he married this girl. We don't know if he's still living with her, if they separated, we don't know anything about that. Even though we see her, it's the girl from my girl, mm-hmm. um, and they have a conversation and they talk about him and they have that very powerful scene where some guy is that she really likes is talking to her right. in front of them mm-hmm. on the phone. It's so strong. It's such a strong moment of this film and it goes nowhere. Mm-hmm. You know, so- there are just so many things in this movie that are like that. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say this isn't bad, that if you got something out of it, that's, you know, mm-hmm. awesome, right? Um, I guess for me, it's very hard. And again, based on true story, true events, based on Lipsky's book, all this stuff. There's nothing in the movie that says, and they continued to have a connection with one another mm-hmm. beyond the four days. There's another movie. I don't think I may have mentioned it to you to watch, but it's called True Story. It's got uh, James Franco and um, Jonah Hill in it. Oh, I've heard about this. The one and when he's the, he's the, the prisoner. prisoner. Yes. Yeah. And he's re- reached. Um, uh, Franco has kind of assumed the identity of this New York Times reporter, Michael Finkel, mm-hmm. played by Jonah Hill. And Jonah trying to figure out, you know, what's going on with this guy? Is he really crazy or not? You know, trying to figure out, did he murder his family or not? Spins months and months and months back and forth with this guy interviewing him, getting to know him really personally. And the two make this really deep connection to the point that when the trial is over and I won't reveal the ending, they still remain friends for decades and are Mm -hmm. still friends today. So, uh, or I should say friendly towards one another or whatever. So that if one of them died, you would think, yes, there would have a big impact on, you know, like on Finkel's life. If, if, uh, uh, um, you know, one of the other guy died, Mm -hmm. Then there would be you you see in that movie, you see that connection being made. I just didn't see a connection between these two well, being made there, here. There are just so many movie moments in this movie, mm-hmm. right? They go out and they walk out into like the pristine Midwestern snow and they say and he's like, wow, it is really beautiful out here. And Wallace is like, you should see it in the spring. It's amazing. Right. And 
you'd expect that is like, and then two years later, I actually managed mm-hmm. to go back and right. see my friend mm-hmm. David Foster Wallace in the spring. Mm-hmm. It was great. We played with his dogs. They still didn't le- let me sleep. Satisfaction. But right. there isn't. And And really, for me, what this movie made me think about is what is the role of like the totally true to life based on real events movie? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, is it supposed to be satisfying in a conventional way still, or is it supposed to be truthful? And although this movie is truthful, it's really not satisfying in a Hollywood type way. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Nobody finally hugs. Nobody like a shoe is sent. And that's about the most, like <laughs> interesting not, not interesting but like the biggest display of affection that kind of happens right and it's interesting and it's so like by this point we're like yeah that's a very uh wallace thing to do mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but that's it and it's like yeah we don't ever see these guys connecting afterwards and it's like this movie is framed by the other guy's death and it's like we get a eulogy sort of, in the form of that book. Mm -hmm. But we don't see any further connection. I expected Mm -hmm. that we were going to keep hopping forward in time. And, you know, it really seems that this movie was like, nope, this movie is exactly those five days. Yeah, that's it. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And and that's the thing that, that's the thing that kind of bothers me, I guess, is there's something missing in this movie there's something missing in this movie if they had a deeper connection than that. Mm. I mean, if I spend five days with somebody, I mean, we spend, um, you know, almost a full 24 hours on, in the car with one another as we drive (laughs) to and from, uh, nerdtacular each year. Yeah. And there's a lot of fun. We have a lot of good conversations. Sometimes people say things that they shouldn't say, (laughs) and it gets people irate or irritated or whatever, but generally it's fine. But if I had had one person in the car that I'd never met before and we went on that road trip with one another and we had all the exact same interactions that we have every year, but that person is part of it. And then 12 years later, that person killed themselves. I don't feel like I would have made a big enough connection with that person in that 24 hours mm-hmm. to have said, and now I know this person intimately to, to say how he impacted me. I just, and that's what this story is missing. You're right. right. You're right. When you said this is very much like a very long podcast, a very mm-hmm. good interview. From that standpoint, yes, it is. Yeah. And trying to convey what's going on in Wallace's uh, mind and life as somebody who has uh, potential problems, I think this movie does it very well. But I'm just not. So you're like, uh, Lipskate in the movie, it's open the, opens the mm-hmm. shoebox, right? And mm-hmm. there's a bunch of newspaper and he pulls out the shoe and he's like, yours, I presume, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then he starts digging through the box. He's like, well, there's got to be more. Right. There's got to be more. There's nothing this. else. There's nothing but it was, yeah, that's that all is, it was. And that's why. That's, it, that's actually a, a very uh, succinct metaphor for this movie. Mm-hmm. And that's why. And I was expecting that too. Oh, there's going to be something more mm-hmm. because obviously they carried on their relationship further if Lipsky was going to write this book. And oh, there's man. nothing in the and box. Like, and and in that sense, how perfect is the post credit scene, right? Where he's yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. hey, you just went to the bathroom. I'm smoking even though I'm not supposed to. Here's me. I'm talking to your tape recorder. And, you know, you, you expected this. And you're like, I think we're going to be friends. Or I hope this goes well for you. Or any sort of connection. Or, or anything just kind of. Isn't. But <laughs> any kind of a profound statement. Even if there would have mm-hmm. been something that he. And obviously, if he would have transcribed the tapes. If there was something hidden on there, like mm-hmm. some deep message from from Wallace, 
Yeah, so he would have found it years ago. So I don't, you know, I don't you know. know. Obviously, you know, Wallace is a real person, right? But it's it's really interesting because anytime he gets asked a question, he's like, "Well, what kind of drunk were you?" Right? And it's like he's a boring kind of drunk. What were you addicted to? Television. What were you doing? It's like, well, nothing. Yeah, I didn't really have a nervous breakdown as such. I was just really discontent with my life, you know? And it's like, that's kind of what this movie feels like, is that any point where it looks like things are going to escalate, Mm -hmm. they don't. Do you think the film, because I can imagine with a writer like him and just, you know, tangentially, Mm -hmm. I listened to like an interview with him, with Terry Gross, from like 97 mm-hmm. or something it was on YouTube when I watched it. Um, it seems like this guy probably had a, a weird mystique about him. And right. they kind oh, of sure, they almost sure. bring that up in the film a little bit. You think this almost is a way to just normalize him and not be like he is some profound, you know, thinker. But he's just like, he really was a normal guy like he said he was. Maybe. I don't know. I mean... We I don't mean, know that's, a, it's I mean, that's, that's the thing is yeah. like it, it. I don't know. There is something about this movie. This movie spends a lot of its time saying this is normal. This is a. These are actually just normal interactions. There's mm-hmm. nothing actually special about these two people. I mean, the movie kind of keeps pushing you in that direction. Is like David Foster Wallace, perfectly normal, normal person. David Lipsky, you know, uh, journalist, writer kind of a mean guy but really not outside of anything that you'd expect to see out of you know a rolling stone reporter mm-hmm. right it's like i kept watching this and i was like wow this is like this is, <laughs> this is like the first draft of almost famous you know it, it, it i thought about that a couple of times myself have you seen the movie almost famous mm-hmm. uh it follows um Oh, what's his name? He's a director now. Cameron Crowe. Cameron Crowe. And it follows him as he was following, was it the Eagles or... Um, uh, wasn't it the... I forgot. Oh, uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival. That's who it was. Was it? I'm pretty sure that's what who it was. And it's him following them over the course of the tour and trying to tell their story. And he's totally upfront with it. And he's young. He's like mm-hmm. 17. He's still in high school. It's summer of his high mm-hmm. school. Um, and he lies to work for Rolling Stone. He goes on this tour with him, has all these great, meaningful moments, uh, kind of grows a little, gets gets this article published. And then the the band members are like, oh, no, that's totally made up. We didn't say any of that stuff because it really revealed who these characters were and kind of shot him in the foot as far as a, a writer until at the end of the movie, the lead singer comes in and, you know, admits that everything was true, gives him a pat on the back. And they have a kind of a happily ever after kind of moment from that kind of a relationship. That's what this movie really felt like. And mm. I, I think you should watch Almost Famous if, okay. you, if you haven't seen it. No, I haven't. And you're going to sit there and go, wow, this is, seems very familiar. Yeah. And there's a lot of connections going on the tour, well, yeah. I mean, Rolling it's, Stones, all of that stuff. Yeah, that's and that's what it is, right? It's like, here's a reporter doing things with Rolling Stone, but the people he's reporting on mm-hmm. are actually crazy times. They are mm-hmm. rock and roll musicians at the height of their popularity. Right. You know, and it's like, here's a a book author at the height of his popularity. But again, it's like anytime, like I was just kind of screaming at this movie. I'm just just like fictionalize something so that something (laughs) actually happened. It's like, I know, I know that this was just five days spent with two guys hanging out and it was very meaningful for him. But the movie doesn't push that. It doesn't, 
it's like he has to tell you how meaningful mm-hmm. it was. It's like never did I have a better conversation. And it's like I can't tell because I didn't hear you have any other conversations except <laughs> with your girlfriend. Except talking about Wallace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Except talking specifically about him. You know, uh, and and here's the thing. Like I am a person. I am a man in my 30s. Like I do some writing. I do media stuff like there are so many things for me to relate to in this movie. And again, it looks it sometimes it just seems like the movie goes out of its way to push me out of it. It's like when he, you know, the the, the stuff that Wallace talks about, about being genuine mm-hmm. and about like doing something because you want to and not because now you are perceived as someone who does it and not stopping doing something because you're perceived to be doing that. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's something that a lot of people who have any sort of like public scrutiny will do and will think about. Um, and it's like, cool, let's go there. And then it kind of doesn't, you know, it's like uh, probably the most satisfying conversation like that is when finally uh, Lipsky gets mad at him or gets mad enough at him and tells him that he's being false, which is clearly an attack. But again, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's not resolved. And he doesn't even dig at him hard enough. You know, there's no moment when he yells out, you're not my real dad. It's just <laughs> kind of like, it's just kind of like the snide sideways attack that he falls for and reacts to. But then that's that. And I'll, and I'll say maybe, and again, I'm still, I've been thinking about this movie since I watched it last week, right? Mm-hmm. It has a 91% rating on Rotten Tomatoes uh, from the critics. It's got an 87% from the audience. It's obviously rated very high um, for something. If it's for something, I think it's for the fact that you've got two really good actors doing oh, a good yeah. job acting. But from the story side, I, I, I don't get it. And that's what I, I will say on this. I don't get it. If you get it, Zach, yeah. and you enjoyed it and loved it so much, that is wonderful. I'm glad for you. You know, I can see things from the production value side that really work. I can appreciate the fact that this was done for, you know, a micro budget and that these guys are probably working for scale if they were even working for scale on this. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's a lot to appreciate from this thing, but it's just not my film, Mm. unfortunately. Mm. Uh, Going to the acting. So you you think they did really well? Was there some some of of each character's kind of push through who they were portraying? Well, again, I don't I don't think that. Well, I certainly think that, um, um, what's his name? Not Eisenberg. Um, J- Jason Siegel. Siegel. Yeah. I think he is a very versatile actor. Yeah. I think that every time I see him, him do something like this, every time I see him in something, he is playing a, a different character. It's mm-hmm. not the stoner. It's not the, it's not the, uh, the dumped on boyfriend. It's, it's just always something different. And I really like his, his acting skill. Jesse Eisenberg, I I think there's a lot of him that carries through. Mm-hmm. And so when you see him in, um, and I'm sure it's going to be the same with Lex Luthor, when you see yeah. him in this, when you see him in um, social network, social network and the TV show or whatever, he just always kind of has this, this thing that comes out that kind of makes him irritating. Yeah. He's always seems, especially because like the first thing I really mm-hmm. saw him in was social network. Mm-hmm. And I think he's, he, the thing is he's cast as ir- an irritating person. Like, yeah, exactly. Right. I, I've never actually <laughs> seen him in a role where he wasn't meant to be somewhat irritating. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think this may have been the first role in which he wasn't meant to be irritating, but we're carrying that inertia and we're definitely right. like, mm-hmm. whenever he's 
um, there are moments when he's doing the interview and, you know, uh, Wallace will say something funny or, you know, Siegel as Wallace will say something and he'll be like, yeah, right. And he's like <laughs> laughing along with him. And you can tell in the interaction, in the story, they are mm-hmm. laughing along, they're mm-hmm. agreeing, they're doing this stuff. But you're like, did he just make fun of him? And right. again, the movie mm-hmm. just rolls right past her. Right? It's like, mm-hmm. uh, and you're like, kind of like, I guess he didn't. But I, I don't know. I like, I, it's really interesting because I think that Jesse Eisenberg has done a really good job at playing irritating characters, yeah. at playing unlikable characters. And now it's anytime you see him in anything, you are already like two steps into thinking that, uh, He's going to be a jerk in this. You see, now I liked him in Now You See Me, but he also plays kind of a jerky right? kid no, in absolutely. that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I haven't seen American Ultra yeah, yet. That's the only thing I could think of that he might not play this character because he right. does play like a pothead in that movie. Yeah, so uh, surely he can't be so uptight. I don't know. I, I'm I'm very tempted to watch it. I was going to ask the uh, Twitterverse the other day if I should watch American Ultra or not. Mm-hmm. But I didn't and decided to watch something else instead. But I don't know. I mean, I like Jesse Eisenberg. As an actor, I think he does a fine job, but maybe he needs to play some non-jerks for a while. Right. It's or seen- some non-put-upon love interest well, type people. Yeah, he's, the- uh, he's probably slated for the next 14 years to play Lex Luthor. Well, so. he is playing yeah. Batman. He is playing Now You See Me 2. He is uh, playing uh, somebody in the Untitled Woody Allen Project, which is in post-production right now. So uh, He'll probably be the same thing. That's all Woody that they Allen. have for, for the IMDb. So. Um, yeah, because watching this... It seemed like you could have taken his exact performance and character influences from the social network mm-hmm. and dropped him as just like a really mm-hmm. uptight, jealous character who yeah. talks yeah. really, really fast and goes, <laughs> yeah, okay. Yep. Um, what do you think about the production, the cinematography? Uh, oh, before we get out of acting, editing. I was okay, really sure. surprised at some of the other uh, actors and actresses they had in here. Joan Cusack makes, oh, yeah. makes an appearance yeah. as their driver for like mm-hmm. three scenes. Yeah, and I'm nothing. like, wow, that's all they're going to use her for. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's wonderful. Uh, but yeah. And I thought the, uh, the, the two uh, other female actresses uh, that were in here, um, mm-hmm. yeah, Mimi Gummer yes. and uh, Mickey Klums- Sumner. Klums- or yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Chlumsky they- is her girl is girlfriend, but yeah, the yeah. other two, I, I thought that they did a, did a great job. It was a, I kind of forget how small the cast is. Cause mm-hmm. even those, random people who are thrown in are all in there for a max with like three scenes each. And the other thing that I was really blown away with was that Danny Elfman did the music for this. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, did you get this on iTunes? Uh, yes. Uh, he has a little bonus feature in there oh, where he okay. talks for like three or four minutes about crafting the music for oh, the cool. film. And he said he started with that ending scene going when they were walking the snow mm-hmm. and he built like the theme around that scene and then worked back backwards essentially really cool through it. So it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the three other things I thought were just really mind blowing about mm-hmm. this. So, mm-hmm. um, as far as production goes, I was trying to look and find out what their budget was on this. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen it. I thought it was maybe $3 million maybe at, at most. Um, but I think that they, for their budget, I mean, they really did a good job. I mean, our biggest complaint lately has been every time you see these traveling in car shots, it looks like bad green screen. I mean, mm-hmm. we saw it in True Detective. We've seen it in the second season of True Detective. What was another movie that we saw recently that it's just like uh, screamed out? Uh, 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 San Andreas had some really bad yeah. stuff in here. But this, they're actually shooting inside of a car. At least I mm-hmm. believe they are. And it really came across super swell from that standpoint. And 
this is a simple story. It doesn't need a lot of special uh, mm-hmm. camera work, and it's doing very basic in uh, camera work for people in a car. And I thought that worked out really well. Yeah, Roger, how do you think they did by staging? Because it is a fairly simple film with just a lot of talking between two guys. Do you think they staged things right and still kept things interesting to the visuals? Yeah, I think they did. This is like this is like a play, right? Mm-hmm. This is like yeah. Twelve Angry Men, yeah. except it's only two kind of slightly angry men. <laughs> um, and yeah, there's a lot of that. You when one character like gets up and does something else, they will like change the the sh- basically change the shot mm-hmm. by standing up and going to the living room, or one will walk over and then you know you'll get kind of the like this reframing of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought. That definitely, I thought that kept it interesting. You know, it's like this is a this is a close up movie, and that's where they hang out, right? It's all mm-hmm. these little close ups. Um, but you know, you do see some of these things, like um, when um, Wallace is signing autographs and uh, Lipsky is uh, hitting on his ex. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the the shots are wide. You know, it, like, shows there's, like, distance and, like, physical distance and emotional distance kind of stuff that is happening. And, you know, they get back close up when they get into a fight or whatever. And so, you know, that that kind of language is there. But there's not much else. Like, the only mm-hmm. real other thing that I can think about this movie is that there is a lot of natural light or mm-hmm. seemingly natural light coming in at all times. Yeah. Which, you know, through the windows, in the car and everything. And some of the scenes are like kind of lens flary and blown out mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, in a very minor way. Like you just see characters like backlit a lot sometimes depending on mm-hmm. what's going on. And I was like, I couldn't really make up my mind if that was really purposeful or if that was just part of, I the think it may be budget. I'm budget. watching, I'm looking at some images right now from the actual shooting. Mm-hmm. They are shooting in an actual car. It is being shot on film. There are no additional lights being used uh, from, you know, a, a traveling car with it or anything like that. Um, in Michigan, it says that they spent $2.1 million in Michigan on, on the budget for the film. Mm-hmm. That doesn't take into account um, actor salaries or anything right. like that. So, it, yeah, I mean, I'm really impressed with the fact that they're using a lot of natural light. Yeah. Uh, the only the one thing that I picked up on, and I didn't actually get to my second viewing, was they would... I think there was two or three times they'd flip across the 180 mm-hmm. to signal when these two were either happy or mad at each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first time they do it is in that cafe scene uh, right at the end of their first day after Wallace is done teaching. And they're kind of feeling each other out at the beginning. And then Wallace says to Lipsky, uh, you're kind of like a nervous guy, aren't you? And, he's, and they kind of banter. And they said, don't worry, we'll get to do this together. Mm-hmm. They do kind of slight transition. And then the rest of the scene is when they're all happy and smoking and laughing. And they right, flip right. to the other side. Uh, and they do it again uh, when Wallace finally confronts him about hitting on his ex in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Where Lipsky's talking to the girl. And it's all on the left side of his face. And then Wall- they track Wallace in. And then everything's on the flip side. Right, so right. it's like, that, that was really nice. Because, you know... Like you said, it's a very simple film mm-hmm. to try to subtly shift our mental focus to be like, okay, th- things are completely different now. We have to see where they're standing emotionally with each other. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a really nice, uh, subtle way to kind of do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, a uh, little disappointed? Yeah, I think so, for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rodrigo, would you have any expectations going into the film? 
Not yeah. really. I yeah. had I had no idea what this movie was about, and you know, incoming as I was like, you know, getting it from Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like I read the blurb, and I was like, oh well, I don't know who either of these guys are. Yeah. So I didn't really have any expectations. So it wasn't necessarily disappointing or anything like that. I hadn't seen any trailers, um, but you know, for me, it was just kind of this like. Um, I don't know. It's a movie with Hollywood actors that kind of doesn't want to do the Hollywood thing. And I think I found that a little bit off-putting just because, you know, I just expected some kind of like clear, obvious, you know, satisfying character arc. And it is just kind of like for better or for worse, you know, whether you like that or not is like it's a movie about two guys talking and connecting in a very... Uh, not necessarily superficial, but not in a very, not in a super deep way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forgot to mention, right? I forgot watching it last night. I went to YouTube and uh, wanted to see some like interviews with uh, Wallace talking. Right. And it was going into this Terry Gross interview and she was talking and I paused it right before we started. And I looked at Aubrey. I'm like, I'm really scared to listen to him. because I've never heard his voice before. And his voice is Jason Siegel in my head. Like that's his voice. Yeah, yeah. So once I press play, the imaginary voice I have in my head is gone. Right. And I know mm-hmm. if I want to do it. Eventually, I, I played it, and I was struck with how well Siegel got his speaking cadence down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And his tone is, I mean, different, obviously, but his cadence of speaking is so good yeah. that it, like, freaked me out for a second yeah, how nice it was. Yeah, good. Uh, did you... Is this movie have you wanting to check out Wallace's writing at all? No, not for me. Mm. Uh, you know, I think I kind of got, I think I kind of got burned by uh, Douglas Copeland with Microsurfs and Generation X years ago. And it seems like Wallace's work is kind of like that. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I'm interested. Yeah. So, and I don't think he's a Dave Barry kind of uh, writer either. So, Probably not. What about the actual interview book? You wanted to read that to see if there's actually another arc in there? No. That this is missing? Not interested. No. Sorry. No? Yeah. I, yeah. Rodrigo, does it, does it tickle your fancy to pick up Infinite Jest? No, not not particularly, especially because I keep talking about how like big it is. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, man. The more, yeah, the more, the more I see it, the less I want to I wanna get involved. I'm sure there's probably a Kindle edition that uh, weighs absolutely nothing. I, I wasn't saying because because of my naturally weak uh, T Rex arm. I meant I meant because it's a very long book. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, I, there is an interest in me to really read it and see is this really the greatest work of that generation? Mm-hmm. You know, type thing. Um, but I just, if you've not read Microsurfs, it kind of has the same unfulfilling ending that mm-hmm. um, the end of the tour did, and so I've just, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Sorry, sorry, Zach. You don't. You don't have to apologize to me. I I like the film. No, you that's great. That's, you don't. Uh, you don't have to like it. You just had to watch it because. I well, said I wanted really to watch it. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to watch it. I mean, I had seen, like I said, I'd seen this, and I think I mentioned it to you. Yeah. Before you even saw it, I thought, yeah. oh, this looks like it's going to be really good. And the nice thing about trailer production is it gave you everything that you needed to really get excited about that film. Mm-hmm. And then when you watch the film, it had all those great moments in it. Just padded out with stuff that was not as interesting. Right. Unfortunately. Right. I, I was really expecting something bigger than a blow up as beyond quit being a dick and hitting on my ex-girlfriend. Don't you have two girlfriends already kind of moment. So, mm-hmm. eh. and is, I mean, is it a problem to not 
have a huge story arc or have a concise story arc with again that's point you know that's that's the thing is like this movie doesn't have a big obvious arc Mm -hmm. and you know quote unquote gets away with it um just because that's the standard and it gets away with it because it's a true story Mm -hmm. right it's like um did you guys ever see uh selena yes so spoiler alert she dies at the end (laughs) right um and the movie just ends and it's like well it has to it has to just end because the protagonist is dead murdered right so it has a very unsatisfying ending in that sense you know and it gets away with it that movie gets away with it because it's a true story so Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways you know the end of the tour enjoys that setup right yeah because it's something that actually happened it's not necessarily tied to those conventions except that when you look and feel like a conventional movie like a movie about two guys and their connections you know how many movies about two unlikely friends have we seen it's like people start falling into those conventions and they start expecting them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and if this is just a here's a look at david wallace yeah the person I think it did exactly what it needed to do. Mm-hmm. If he was a recluse and nobody really knew him, and this was the really only big reveal that we had of him beyond his writing, I think the movie just did its job fine. Mm. Just wasn't, but not, as, but not very satisfying. Not, not satisfying to me. I, I, I would have flipped it around and, and pushed Lipsky back into the background more and brought Wallace more mm-hmm. into the foreground mm. or the other way around. Make it all about Lipsky. Make it yeah. all about, how he has to deal with his own inadequacies in the face of, you know, he expects this yeah, meeting a guy. amazing person, right. but he's just a regular guy. And now mm-hmm. he has to deal with that. He has to deal with the fact that not only was he crushed or he will be crushed in the book awards, but he will be crushed by someone who's actually pretty nice and he can't really get mad at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Never meet your heroes, Zach. Never meet them. Also never read the comments. <laughs> just another general rule not like our comments our comments are pretty civil just don't go to YouTube uh, so fun times yeah next week is next week Thanksgiving well no uh, this weekend we have The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2 the yeah. night before The Secret in Their Eyes are the three big movies that are coming out um, then next week is Thanksgiving alright and that's where we've got Creed and The Good Dinosaur yeah. and Victor Frankenstein uh, all hitting the big, uh, big screen. I am incredibly excited about Good Dinosaur. We, yeah. went, we won't watch the Peanuts this week. Oh yeah, how was that? Um, the Peanuts was really odd in that I never really watched the Peanuts before. Mm-hmm. That it was very cute and fun, um, but it felt like a ninety-minute episode, cartoon episode. Yeah, that was drawn out from like a twenty. Um, that's that's what it, I've heard from many other people. Is but that it, it's, like, I didn't hate it. I I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was worthwhile to you know kind of see there and kind of laugh at all those uh, characters again and try to remember all their names. I'm not very good at that. There's a million of them. Yeah, just scattered around the screen. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I saw the trailer for Good Dinosaur. Very excited. Yeah, for it looks that. very good. Yeah, Disney Pixar. Oh yeah, they, they always do down. good. No doubt. It's always going to bring the feels and the tears and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um. So, are we doing an episode next week? Um. Well, I mean, we technically have time before. Thanksgiving. That's true. I mean, you know, we can put it out before Thanksgiving. That's true. We can. Um, or we could just um, 
we could just wait a week and come back after Thanksgiving and talk about the good dinosaur, if that's what you want to talk about. Well, I bet there might be something on iTunes that came out. Or Creed. Or Creed. Yeah, it'll, find something. Yeah. It'll be a fun surprise for the listeners. Yeah. Off mic. Because yeah. the internet is there for us to discover. Uh, thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Zach on Film. Head to MajorSpoilers.com. You can find this podcast posting page. Uh, did you enjoy the end of the tour? Or did you find it underwhelming and unsatisfying? Go to the comments on that podcast page. Leave them there. And uh, let the world know what you think about this film. While you're there, get a jump on your holiday shopping. It's not really a jump. It's almost, uh, almost Black Friday. Uh, click on the Amazon.com link. You can do all your shopping. It's not going to cost you any extra, but a little bit will come back to Major Spoilers to help keep the site going and more content coming to you each and every week and each and every day. So next week, we'll probably have an episode. What will it be about? I don't know yet. But we'll be here next week with more Zach on Film. This podcast is copyright 2015 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.